Hi, everybody. Thank you for listening. This is Will You Be My Friend? Conversations about making a life while making art. Uh, I'm Kristen, your host. Uh, about a month ago, Simon came over. Simon Flory is a musician here in Austin. I know him because he and my brother are the K-Pastas, a kindy music band um, based in Dallas and Austin. And Simon's amazing. He's an amazing storyteller, a terrific musician. He plays with several bands, um, most notably High Plains Jamboree and, of course, the K-Pastas. And he came over and, you know, we've been friends for a while, so it was really nice to sit and ask him some questions I had about his life and how he works and all of that. Um, he plays some banjo, so make sure you listen to the whole thing. He takes us in and out with some banjo music, and it's awesome. And he was wearing a great Garth Brooks shirt, which we reference, and I learned a lot about some surprising things. So I hope you enjoy as much as I did. Thanks for listening. Will you, will you be my friend? And we just noticed for the first time yesterday that I didn't know the banjo had a little tuning key. Up here? Yeah. Yeah, it's the fifth string. That's crazy. So really you're playing the four. Mm-hmm. And this one you're playing all the time. It's called the drone string. Because mm-hmm. you're always playing that note. You don't fret it. It's, it's the little... Oh, you never fret it? Oh, uh, kind of wild bluegrass band sometimes too. So even if you're playing up here, I'm... Exactly right. Is that officially what it's called, the jangly sound? Uh, I have a book about banjos, and it's called that half barbaric twang. Half <laughs> barbaric twang. Thank you. 
<laughs> yes. I can't even tell what your fingers are doing in that. Is, does it feel a lot different than playing guitar? Absolutely. Well, you play, say you play with the back of your fingernail. So you're when you're really, strumming. Yeah. So what you're not doing is, which is what you heard that loud noise was me catching my fingernail. Uh-huh. <clears throat> but what you're not doing is you're not touching it. It's really weird. It's more of a connection than guitar because you're not using a pick. Unless you're uh-huh. obviously finger picking or something. But yet you you have this weird thing where your tone comes off of... It goes all the way down into what kind of fingernail you have. And so since I have... Yeah, my I have a really flexible one. Uh-huh. Some people wear uh, a fake fingernail. Um, my good friend Jerry is just probably one of the best banjo players, old-time banjo players around. <clears throat> Not just Austin. And... Uh, yeah, he gets a fake one on there, and so it's uh-huh. harder, so his sound will be different. And that's, you know, and I'm, I'll constantly be grooming this thing so I don't break it. Wow. So anyway, yeah. But other than that, you know, it's like any other instrument. You, what you're trying to do is, you know, the music's in you, and then you're just this, that's where the practice comes in. And then you have ideas, and you're playing the notes. You're playing the music to it. You're not playing the instrument anymore, mm-hmm. thing, you know. How long have you been playing the banjo? Um, actually, coming up on ten years this year. It's no nine years this year, I guess. Nine or ten years. All right. And what are all the different instruments you play? Mm. Uh, you know what? It's it's kind of a funny question. It's like uh, you would a- answer that differently in different settings. Okay. Like if I'm talking to a five year old. Uh huh. I would tell them all these instruments, maybe you know, get them interested in instruments. If I was talking to a fellow musician, <laughs> uh-huh. I would maybe only say the ones that I played professionally. Mm-hmm. Especially if you, you know, have the chance of that. Most likely because that's like a networking thing too, where they're like, "Hey, I know somebody that plays, you know, fiddle." Because I play a little fiddle, uh-huh. but right, I don't want that. To but you're not going to necessarily market yourself. Definitely as a, not. Okay, actually. so professionally. Professionally, I play. Uh, Banjo, um, and I played the old time style like you just heard, and um, stand up bass is my main focus right now, and also um, so bass playing in general, but I played more on the stand up, um, and then I also play guitar in some capacities. I've been a rhythm guitar player; it's my first instrument actually, but I'm not like a shot lead player. So, so your main two. Banjo and stand-up bass. Yeah, yeah, and, and interestingly enough, I have a couple of the bands I play, and I get to play both, mm-hmm. obviously not at the same time. Maybe you should work on that. Yes, but we, uh, um, um, yeah, it fits into the, the things that I get to do, mm-hmm. so I play both. Um, but other instruments, uh, I played, I played mandolin for a long time, for about as long as I played banjo, and uh, actually fiddle for longer. But I, I um, learned properly, like when I was 19, took up violin, mm-hmm. um, which was like a huge struggle. So it's a massive amount of discipline, which 19-year-old Simon didn't have. Where were you when you were learning violin? I actually was in college, and they, um, I didn't have a stand-up bass, and I wanted to continue some sort of formal music training. Mm-hmm. Just because I wasn't doing as much performing, because I was in college, 
super busy. And so I took it as a, a private lesson where I was at school. It was really neat. They did this thing where you could go to the music school and get a lesson from, like, the official, like, from the, this was the, the or it was actually the conductor, the uh-huh. actual conductor. Um, it was really inexpensive, I remember, you know, especially for what it was. And I just took these lessons. Could have worked way harder at it, but what it really taught me was all the, the technique. Mm-hmm. So standing in front of a mirror and, you know, playing mm-hmm. violin. Where did you go to college? Uh, DePaul University. It's in southern Indiana. And what did you study? Central. Uh, it's a liberal arts school, so, you know, the one that you, your major ends up being, like, eight classes, you know? So whichever like, class you took the most of? All, kind of. It so, sounds like my dad. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's like a, I, I, you, what do you declare? You declared, like, your second semester, your sophomore year. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, but, uh, I knew I was going to do creative writing. Um, partially because... It was an awesome program, had tons of friends in it, like, um, the classes I had already taken, I really liked those professors, quickly finding out in college that it's, you know, like, you know, like they say, it's an expensive club to be in, like, you're either in the club or you're not in the club, well, you know, if I'm showing up to, you know, Latin American politics class, and I'm like, I can't get it, you could just walk out, it was so weird, like, in college, you could just, like, Okay, I don't want to take that class. Right. I signed up for it. Took me a couple of semesters to figure that out, of getting, you know, a couple of terrible grades. I don't have to grades. sit here in this one for... Yeah. 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 I'm actually going to pay for this, you know, and still pay for it at 35. You know, <laughs> I'm going to keep paying my student loans for this forever. But the, uh, yeah, it was cool. So it, what's crazy is that our, um, the program, and I didn't, you know, you don't know this while you're there, but it turned out that our department, it was incredible. Mm-hmm. The people that were there at the time, it was the Asian Poet Laureate, um, Tom Chiarella, who wrote for Esquire. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, uh, Barbara Bean, and Eugene Gloria, and Greg Schwips. It was like these incredible writers just happened to be there. Mm-hmm. So what kind of stuff were you writing? Time. Were you writing... <clears throat> My focus was on short fiction, so we actually had a we had a good program that actually broke it down all the way down. So I was all the way to short fiction. Um, still did a lot of poetry and stuff like that, but, mm-hmm. but it wasn't my thing. When you went to school, did you know that you wanted to do creative writing, and why did you, or how did you kind of end up in that club? Yeah, well, you know what? It was because I didn't want to go to music school. Um, was like my thing. I needed more experience. You know, I needed to do something else, and I really like to learn. Um, I was also an athlete in college, too, so I did that. Track? Track and cross-country, yeah. So it was, like, a huge part of my college experience, So, um, which was great, because I wanted to, like, finish that out, mm-hmm. you know? That, and and so I just took the opportunity. Just It was great just to read a ton and write a ton and learn how to do that mm-hmm. from people that did it, experienced yeah. people. And uh, it's a small school, and it's really good to um, have it was big on personal relationships with your advisors and professors and stuff. So we, weekly meetings, mm-hmm. and you just sit there and mm-hmm. talk about stuff. You know, it's great. Yeah. So 
So you didn't want to go to music school. Um, why? Why not? How? How much at that point when you were making the decision of going to college? Um, what? What sort of place did music have in your life at that point? Mm, I was yeah. I was everything all about music all through high school. It was just constantly recording, playing shows, school orchestra. Uh, I was in a traveling gospel band for a little bit, like a country gospel band that was really great. I learned a lot from those dudes. Um, I mean, we weren't like on the road, on the road, but we would do these little tiny country churches all around uh, in Indiana where I grew up. And uh, it was pretty, that was pretty wild. I learned a lot. So was that Cowboy Church? No, that wasn't Cowboy Church. This was actually before that movement even started. That was when I lived in Arkansas. Oh, oh, Cowboy Church was Arkansas. In Arkansas, okay. and that's the newer idea that kind of blew up. But this is when I was growing up, when I was in Indiana, and we were just small country churches and country gospel band. So where in Indiana did you grow up, and what was that life like? Um, I grew up um, near a town um, called, in between two towns called Rensselaer and Demont, Indiana, it's north Lafayette, and uh, we moved there from Virginia, my family did. Mm, that's um, your parents and how many siblings? Two, uh, brother and sister. Uh, older? Older, they're both older, and, so, and they were both born in Virginia as well. My family goes back in Virginia since the 1740s, Whoa. so yeah, and I'm, I'm officially the first born outside of Virginia. Oh, wow. Pretty well, yeah. Um... <laughs> which is uh, which was interesting growing up up north or you know you you know this as a Texan you know once you leave Texas you're like wow Texas was really Texas yeah uh, Virginia shares a little bit of that mm -hmm. because it's so Virginia and they are very proud of their state and the history goes so far back and then everything through I mean from the Revolutionary War all the way up so yeah it's really weird having that I mean, if I got in trouble, my mom would call me a Yankee. <laughs> okay. She would call, if I was in worse trouble, she would call me a blue belly. Okay. Oh. Ooh. So that's a Yankee, but kind of more derogatory. Uh-huh. Okay. But there's a third level. Okay. Yankee, blue, blue belly. Blue belly, yellow belly. Oh. Oof. <laughs> and I was like, well, uh, mom, um, based on this language that I learned in the, the you know, westerns or something, or that I watched, <laughs> you mean I'm a traitor? <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're, you're, you can't help it. You're like, you were born about? here. Yeah, you moved me here. <laughs> it was like literally, like six months, I wouldn't have been, you know, whatever. So it was pretty funny. So did you grow up on a farm? Yeah, we had like a little forty-acre farm, but it was, it was it was really neat. It was surrounded by other like mega farms. So, in, in uh, not by today's standards, but bigger farms, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, still family-run and stuff. Um, I guess now, when I go back there, it's it's very industrial mm -hmm. farming. I mean, insane. Is y'all's farm still in your family? No, not that one in Indiana. Um, the, um, but uh, my dad kind of lives on a similar place 
a smaller mm-hmm. place, but that's and that's a good one. But, but yeah, we um, I kind of spent the bulk of my childhood there, and really just grew up there. Forty acres, and we um, farmed it for hay for horses, and it was really neat because my folks owned a feed store, mm-hmm. so I was allowed to have whatever animal, and so we would just you know pigs and chickens and everything, horses. Did y'all raise your own food and that a sort of thing? A lot of it, yes. Mm-hmm. In fact, my dad was pretty wild about um, uh, having a huge garden, and which is big in my family. And uh, we would actually plow with the horse. Plow the garden oh, yeah? With the horse, yeah. And it was like a one-bottom plow. And so it was really fun. And we just, uh, our horse Skippy would just take off and just keep it down the center of the road. It was probably the best life lesson you know, to be able to do that and then uh, we raised rabbits and chickens and um, that was kind of the neat side of things we never had cows but um, yeah and did you have friends friends nearby or were y'all pretty remote in that way we were pretty remote we had uh, <laughs> we had one group they weren't uh, we weren't real close friends with them um we were about 12 miles from town, I think. 12 miles from one town and 8 or 10 from the other. So it was hard. I did ride my bike a couple of times to town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah, it took most of the day to get there and back. But, um, so, like, what did you do with yourself when you were growing up? Well, I mean, we spent a lot of time in town at the feed store. Mm-hmm. That was a very cool thing to grow up in. And, you know, because you can imagine the characters that come to the feed store. Everybody looking for, like, people looking for parrot food to people, like, <laughs> Like, uh, they, uh, you know, people buying a new saddle for their horse. Uh-huh. And so it's, you know, or somebody's got a sick cow, you know, because we had everything. Um, that was like so the model was we can feed anything. Mm-hmm. And so it was chinchilla food. I remember we had freaking chinchilla food um, next to the, you know, the bag of bird poison. Don't get those mixed up. Right. Um, yeah, it was... Um, so like working there, hanging out there, that was kind of the center of life. Yeah, and then you go back home, and that was like in, uh, insular family time, and um, I didn't have TV till I was, I was I think six or eight was when we got a television, and so and then after that we only could watch TV on Saturdays um, night, usually just for a movie, mm-hmm. you know, and usually watched. And so was the rest of your family musical, or how did how did you start playing music? How did that start getting so integrated into your life? Um, yeah, church music's really big in my family. So not uh, no stringed instruments. Uh, it's all vocal and church music. So um, since I was not um, inept at that, I showed no promise early on. You know, like everybody's a great like barbershop singing big in my family, right? Me doing that? No. Like, uh, yeah, they, there's my uncles and my grandpa uh, actually just passed away. He's an incredible um, uh, barbershop singer. He was in the Bull Run Troubadours in Virginia for like, uh, on and on for about, on and on for like 50 years he was in this band, uh-huh. which is amazing for me to think about right yeah. now, you know? It's like, oh yeah. You know, uh, he was a great incredible storyteller and really he, he was really you know 
very very much the patriarch of the entire family. Um, your dad's dad or your mom's dad? My mom's dad. And he just, you know, he was a writer, he wrote poetry, and he, he's a writer and a farmer and a rural mail carrier. And, a, mm-hmm. you know, he was just like, a, you know, World War II veteran. And then, you know, at the end of the day, after raising eight kids, and at the end of the day, he'd still go off to sing a show <laughs> with, the bull, with the Bull Run Troubadours with the awesome outfit and the stripes on the oh sleeve. So did you get to see him perform a lot? Oh, yeah. Uh, not a lot because they were back in Virginia, but when mm-hmm. we would go back, that, you know, those kind of things that I couldn't get where I was phys- physically growing up made those things more home, even though they weren't, you know, mm-hmm. show up and everybody's related to you and it's a huge family. And then, you know, this thing that you certainly didn't have in Indiana, they, um, the, uh, yeah, that kind of stuff just really holds, you know, that kind of, like, home feel to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, my dad's a great singer. He sang with the New Virginians, which was a vocal group at Virginia Tech University. Hmm. And uh, he actually ended up going on the road with that band, show thing, and it, it was, wow, oh, so get this. So he had, we had LPs of him, and they're, like, the, craziest like mustard colored tuxedo with like the, the frillies on the mm-hmm. front it looks like a fish gill or something uh and uh and, like, mustard color in the front and the back it'd be like powder blue leisure suit and, like standing on a like a like a like a wood pile like they were chopping wood in their leisure suits with, like <laughs> like the ladies with the opposite colored dresses uh-huh. on their knee while they're holding an axe okay um and i remember that really you know burned into my memory as a kid just looking at these LPs for the longest time just uh-huh. how cool would that be to be on a record and uh, I've wanted one forever because they got lost uh, my folks splitting up or whatever and, and I really wanted one I've looked online I've kind of mm-hmm. searched and then I was in a Goodwill in uh, um, oh, what was the name like Fairmount I think something like that some uh, a mountain town in southwest Virginia, not far from Virginia Tech. And I uh-huh. recently found an 8-track. No way. An 8-track. And I was visiting my uncle my dad's brother. And uh, actually, we had a day off on the road when we were on tour. And uh, I found this 8-track. I freak out, you know. Oh, my gosh. But what it is is the LP's this big and the picture's this big. For those shoulder width. Sh- shoulder width. I guess I'm doing like an audio recording here. So, but it, you know, tiny goes all the way down to an eight track. So like you can barely tell it's him. <laughs> but but I know so from my memory yeah. that this is the one. And so we take it back to the farm. We were back at my, um, my uncle's dairy farm. We had met my aunt coming up. She's tearing down the gravel road, coming up this in her flatbed pickup truck. She's going to town to buy milk. They own a dairy farm. And, uh, and so, <laughs> <laughs> Um, I mean, they're not out there like squeezing the cow titties. Right. They're all hooked up to things. Yeah, 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 they are. So, so she's tearing into it. I was all excited. I was like, hey, Janet, check this out. Check this out. I got this really crazy, uh, this A-track of my dad. And she's like, well, you just bring it on up to the shop. Uncle Dale's working on a sprayer. You can listen to it in there with him. Okay, and I get to the shop. I was like, "Wait, it's just a." Of course, you have an eight-track player in the shop. (laughs) Of course, this is the best place to listen to it. In the shop where you have a fully functional. It was awesome. They didn't have a regular stereo. They just had an eight-track. 
We cranked it up. And best 37 cents I've spent in a while. That's, that's excellent. So I think some of those experiences, I mean, um, that's the one I think that kind of bridged the gap between like the church music and my, my sister and my mom are incredible piano players. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, that kind of bridged that gap and I'm like, okay, cool. And I'm, then I've always just been in love with, you know, sounds and band sounds, mm-hmm. not just, you know, one instrument and one thing. Mm-hmm. So that, that would be... Lots of music around the house growing up. My mom was always playing the piano. Classical piano or? Yeah, mostly church hymns. Mm-hmm. Almost exclusively church hymns. Mm-hmm. So, um, and my sister's the one that got more in that classical, you know, um, after, like, on through school and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Does your brother play anything? Or? No, not even remotely. He's fairly toned up, mm-hmm. which is pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. He's also a you know, scientist, so. Um, so what was your first instrument or were it guitar? Guitar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, you kind of like wish you would have been forced into piano lessons as a little yeah. bit. Um, yeah. I wasn't. Um, but man, I asked for a guitar for years. Um, there wasn't, you know, just guitar center down the road. Yeah. There wasn't, there was no guitar. Yeah. You know, it was, it was not super common. Like I figured that everybody played guitar or anything. It was kind of like still like that. The rock and roll thing, yeah, whatever that was. Um, but yeah, I eventually got an old acoustic guitar and a Mel Bay book, which is like a 1950s like instruction. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, we had some of those. Oh, yeah, yeah, Mel Bay, Mm -hmm. yeah, so self taught on that to begin with, yeah. And I would get some instruction over time. My mom taught piano lessons, so where she did, like, I would have some lessons on and off, Mm -hmm. Um, so. But my but really the formal stuff came in when I started um, uh, orchestra in, the, in high school and mm-hmm. kind of bass through that. And when did you start writing songs and writing your own music? Oh, that was very early on, eighth grade or something. Do you yeah, remember one of the like, first songs you wrote? Oh yeah, you know songs like why. <laughs> <laughs> You know, like, like terrible. Uh, it's a really uh, good question. Yeah, you know, I had a lot of questions. And was it country or was it more indie and, or uh, alternative? I didn't know the word all indie yet. Right. Um, I listened to, you know, the big thing then, early 90s would have been, early mid-90s, you know, it was Nirvana. And, and uh, stuff on the radio was actually, you know, Pretty darn edgy if you're, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. When did you graduate high school? Surfers, 2000. 2000, so well, you're a year younger than me. Okay. Okay. But yeah, it's like, you know, Butthole Surfers was on the radio. Yeah. Right? It's like some, you know, uh, sublime, like, you know, you're hearing these songs as a kid. And that was the pop music at the time. Yeah. You know, before the boy bands came back. And, uh, and it was, and that was mixing in with, you know, and then you, you hear about the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and the Who. Um, and then that all kind of combines with what I grew up with, which was Southern Gospel and Bluegrass mm-hmm. um, and Country. Those are kind of the three main things. And the Southern Gospel thing, it's kind of funny. Most people say Country and Bluegrass, but vocal groups were so big in my house. Mm-hmm. that um, which you Like as far as what you would be listening to? Yeah. yeah. So vocal groups like, um, if you think the most popular being... Uh, 
Oak Ridge Boys. Mm-hmm. So think about like the four part singing and all that stuff. Um, but we would listen to some really obscure like old um, gospel, southern gospel groups that would be big in their genre, sub sub mm-hmm. sub genre kind of thing. And, and and why was that? Was that because your life, your parents' life, was really centered in church, or was that their just their taste and what they liked, or why was that? Why was that what was kind of I think being brought into your house? Both. But if you can imagine, like, that that original back-home barbershop thing mm-hmm. combined with um, Southern Gospels just on the radio yeah. in Virginia. I mean, it's like, right. that's like a thing. Um, and then those groups, a lot of, like, social events around church, you would have singings and stuff, and the Southern Gospel groups would be touring mm. musicians that would come through, and you would see some of those. Um, but, yeah, it's definitely a, mm. kind of a bug-a-bug quality. Um kind of music, but like, you know, all the way to the Statler Brothers, um, uh, Larry Gatlin and those guys. And, uh, it was, it was, um, it was that between that and then country, but it was less of the modern country stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and more like 60s, 70s country. Which is a wonderful segue into the yeah. fact that Simon is sitting here wearing a Garth Brooks t-shirt. And, I oh, do. Garth, he's looking handsome. It's a young, young Garth Brooks. It is. He's very young Garth. He's wearing a flannel. Yeah. His head is like... He's got a big cowboy hat on. It's it's a full, like... Full body. Full, full body shirt photo of Garth. I couldn't pass it up. Um, I think it's almost ironic because I didn't... Not that I never listened to him, mm-hmm. but he was the establishment, you know, growing up. And so I was listening to Steve Earle instead of Garth Brooks, you know, uh, which is not very edgy. I know now, <laughs> but like for the time it was. Right. And is Garth Brooks, I mean, I don't know, I don't know a lot about music and especially not country music, but I did listen to Garth Brooks, mm-hmm. but I don't know where he falls in like the, I don't know, the lineage of things. Mm-hmm. And was he a big deal as far as making country more popular on a national level? Or had that already happened? Oh, that's, uh, no, he's the biggest number one force at probably ever, modernizing and bringing it to really? the pop world. Garth! Yeah, Garth. The crazy thing about him is, uh, he. what's crazy is that he learned it from, like, he had this huge career, and he put on these giant rock shows, fireworks. He used to fly on the cables over the crowd. I mean, how, straight, how did I not see that? Straight Bon Jovi sold out, you know, <laughs> like Central Park or whatever. The, you know, they. Uh, in I remember that event on TV. Uh-huh. You know, like as a kid, like oh, Garth Brooks is playing on TV tonight. Right. ABC seven o'clock, and like you would sit there and you'd watch a Garth Brooks concert, like it was you know, pre-internet, and that was a huge yeah. deal, right? But what's really neat is he modeled his career off of one person, and that's uh, Chris Ledoux. And Chris Ledoux is this uh, uh, world champion um, bareback rock rider huh. that he won uh, all the way from the Little Bridges, like Little League of Rodeo, all the way up to the world championships, and it would play music at all the rodeos. And he started recording and like selling tapes out of his truck huh. at the different rodeos. And then he starts putting on shows, and what he did is he combined the flashy craziness of a rodeo, which is loud, and fireworks, and stuff's going off with country music. Huh. 
And so he he would even have like a fake bull on stage and like ride it and stuff. Yeah, it was crazy. Because then he eventually had like a big career. Like, mm-hmm. um, and Garth Brooks like modeled a lot of his like crazy stage show. This they is did, it. and he actually brought him in, like did a duet with him and stuff huh. like, later on. Um, but yeah, he kind of like took that crazy show and was like, oh yeah, and the, all those cowboy songs and stuff. You know, Garth is a massive singing talent, yeah. not a cowboy. Yeah, you know, he kind of took that idea. Um, and it was a big, huge show. And I think, you know, part of, you know, being a snotty punk kid at that time, I like had kind of shied away from country. But then when I found Steve Earle, like looking at Garth Brooks as the establishment and the big rock show, it kind of reminded me of the hair bands and stuff. You wanted the opposite of that. And then when I found Steve Earle and he was doing, you know, like bluegrass records with the Del McCurry band and doing just like... You know, he has some rock and stuff too, but it's all about the song, number one, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. one through ten. It's all about the song, and that's what's always really uh, drawn me to, you know, the stuff that I really like, which is songwriting first. Mm-hmm. So. Um, so what bands, who all do you play with now? Um, first, I play with... Uh, Play basically two main groups. I play with the K Pastas. I've heard of them. Have you heard of the K Pastas? I have heard of them. They are a kindy rock group. You don't know what that is. Did y'all did y'all coin that or did that already? No, no, no. Okay. I actually don't know who coined it. Most Um, of you know, but the K Pastas is my brother Gene and Simon. They're kids' music band, and they're so awesome and sweet and so fun. Oh, that's that's nice. Uh, What do you say? The, uh, yeah, the kindy thing, kids, indie music. Basically, the idea is that you're music that is more palatable. Um, I describe it as kids' music that doesn't make you want to rip your face off. Okay, yeah, okay. And I listen to it a lot. Yeah, I bet you do. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, definitely not for everybody, but not so different than bands that you hear anyway. And, you know, there used to be some really crazy... uh, popular stuff that had some pretty bizarre musical, like, or uh, lyrically, like, thematic stuff. Like, I was listening to a song yesterday, actually Gene and I were listening to a song yesterday that my brother sent me, like an old country song that was, like, like about a serial killer, and it was, like, it's, it's called Psycho, and it's, like, it's in, you're just like, what? This used to be on the radio? <laughs> So, like, us singing some silly songs about just, like, you know, giants and pirates and, you know, pet alligators, not so weird. Yeah. These days, it does seem weird. I don't know if things, I think some, you know, a lot of the songwriting, songwriting by committee has made stuff Mm. more uh, conservative. So, if Mm. you think of, especially my, some of my favorite era of country, which would be 60s, um, Roger Miller, I mean, goodness gracious, and Shel Silverstein writing all these songs. You know, Boy Named Sue is a Shel Silverstein song. Wait, did Shel Silverstein write songs? Yeah. Intentionally? Yeah, he wrote Boy Named Sue from Johnny Cash's song. I didn't know that. Yeah, he wrote he wrote a, a whole entire record for Bobby Bear. He was a really? very lonely. Yeah, he's one of the most prolific country songwriters. And so you get these, like, really silly, yeah. you know, things. Um, well, what's that song um, that I heard before and Gene was playing it the other day? The, uh, who's the guy? I can't remember, but the, it's like, 
the guy who moved here from Maine, and he wrote this song about oh, how much people love, I love you Texas even more than I love song, Texas. Yeah, yeah right. and it's just, it's con- country, right? Yeah. It's yeah. country, but it's really, just, it's very sweet and earnest. Yeah. And that's one thing, like, you know, again, I listen to the K-Pastas a lot. And if the songs on the albums, the ones that maybe y'all don't play um, in shows as much, I just feel like it's your, it's the antithesis of songwriting by committee. It's okay. songwriting with like such a unique and particular point of view right. that it's. I think that for me, that's why. And and obviously, I love you guys, but I can listen to it over and over again because it is. It's it's so specific mm-hmm. and not just something that is. Yeah. Trying to sound good, so tons of people are going to want to listen to it. Yeah, I think I think Texas has that famous for its songwriters. Um, it's such a big place, but yet it has this under the name of Texas. You're still there. You know when you're in Texas, right? And songwriters have always been famous here. In in even some that you know, like Slate Leaves, like you're talking about. Yeah, he moved here from Maine because he's a songwriter. That is one of the yeah. main reasons that I wanted to move to Texas was songwriting. Mm-hmm. Because no matter what, I was going to be surrounded by so many great songwriters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, um, it's that particular point of view that people really um, gravitate towards. Leanne Womack's last record, she, instead of, you know, the songwriting by committee or whatever, she chose mostly Texas songwriters' songs, hmm. and it had to be from their point of view hmm. so that she could, she would be singing a song that, that, that actually felt like, like, you know, you could tell that somebody went through that. You know, yeah. Experiences that they had. Um, it wasn't just written. It's great songwriters. Uh, Brennan Lee, uh, Mondo Signs, my friend Mondo, great song on that. Um, and then Brennan Lee, who I'm in another band with, uh, High Plains Jamboree, which is a string band. She had a song on there, too. Is that who you've been touring with a lot most recently? Yes, yes. Um, And that band consists of Brennan Lee, um, who has her own solo country career, Um, and then Noel McKay, who is a great songwriter, and he is is the, you know, just the perfect example of just an incredible Texas songwriter from Bandera, Texas, the most cowboy place on earth. And, but yet he's a little... He's not, you know, walking around in chaps and, you know, he's like, he's not, he's only about the song. And he was discovered by Guy Clark in the 90s and uh, co-wrote some great songs with him. Um, did a great song called uh, El Coyote off of Guy's um, last record. It was just awesome. Um, because he lived it. Like, he's from South Central Texas. You know, it's a song about um, the the uh, coyotes, the guys that bring over, um, you know, illegal immigrants from Mexico. And, you know, and you're like, okay, you could write that. You, you know, you could see something about that on the news. You could be from anywhere and write that. No, he used to drive a truck that was driven over and, and uh, abandoned on his parents' property hmm. from Mexico. And he... Went out there and fixed it up. That was his oh, truck. Oh, truck, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's just so amazing to me that you would have, you know, 
that kind of experience and, and to bring those to songwriting has just been incredible to play with them. Um, and then just one of my favorite musicians to work with, um, Beth Carper, uh, Beth Crispin from the Carper family. Holy cow, she's uh, she's plays fiddle in the band. Mm. And she's an incredible singer. So yeah. And you play stand up bass in that band? Bass, uh, do a little banjo sometimes. And uh, they get me up to play guitar and sing too a little bit. So cool. So how do you write songs? What comes what comes first? Mm. It actually can come uh, kind of different ways. You know, if if you're in the folkish idiom, um, you're probably I'm not going to be sitting down and working on a sweet guitar lick first, right? <laughs> that's not the idea. Uh, that's almost always going to come later. Even the changes, so in other words, the chord changes of a song aren't necessarily going to come out right away. You might have that dictated by the melody, which I usually just start humming, or um, a line will phrase will be phrased into a melody like the melody mm -hmm. kind of is dictated by the phrasing of this line that I have in my head or something and it can happen anyway you know sitting down at the house and writing it out um, what I find myself doing a lot is driving down the road and just having to turn on my phone and record what I'm singing and then I might get three verses out you know mm -hmm. just driving somewhere in town and so do words and melody kind of come at the same time or do you mm. like have an idea and then words start coming to that or do words just start mm. coming that's a good question uh <clears throat> mine, mine tend to to start forming at the same time because mm -hmm. it just feels like it should go this certain way or it's informed by the fact that you've been listening to a ton of whatever some artists that you've been listening to that's a good thing you know mm -hmm. uh the, the, that happens. That always is exciting to me. The exciting thing is to, to, to do that and not, and then later somebody say, hey, that sounds like a blah, blah, blah song. You're like, yes, mm -hmm. yes. That's like not what I was going for, but that's what I was listening to at the time and that's mm -hmm. what came out. So you're like a conduit for these, for the stuff that you listen to. Um, but yeah, it, it, it starts to form that way and then you might need to add some things in to make it more interesting mm -hmm. or you might realize that you were kind of singing the same melody you sang last week, you know, in another song. You just kind of work on it that way. Um, but it's it's mostly, I think, informed by the words. And then phrasing in country is the big thing because any sort of folk type of idiom, and I say that because folk then moves off of the you know, blues and bluegrass and Mm -hmm. country any songwritery type thing um, it can happen though anytime anywhere you know just like do you ever do you have to do you schedule time to sit down and like write songs or you know work on you, your musicianship or are you working so much these days that you just like rest when you're not right. touring or on stage um no I I have to practice um, one thing that helps if you are super busy or if I am super busy is to schedule practice times with other musicians. Mm -hmm. Um, we have weekly rehearsal, but, uh, but I might also just meet up with a, another musician, just play with them for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And that's really, you're learning, you're sharing ideas and stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm at least four to five times a week for a couple hours at a time. And that might be. 
that might be actual practice, just playing songs, learning new songs, playing along with an old record, trying to learn the style of somebody else. Um, it could be more listening, um, uh, or like, you know, like more like scholastic, like reading out of a book, like mm -hmm. actually working on specific technique. Or it could be songwriting. I get those kind of get convoluted for me, and mm -hmm. you know, where it's not like where I probably should be practicing my instrument, but I'm writing this song that might go nowhere. You right. know, like it might be a terrible song, but I always see those through. Yeah. You know, I, I don't, I don't, you know, I don't mind at all. I'll write a shitty song yeah. every day. I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like, I'll work on it though, and something will come out of it. I'll learn something from it. I'll take a line from it and steal it for another song. I'll, you know, we'll use the. Use the chorus, um, you know, it's, uh, it's really fun. It's like one of my favorite things to do. So, so when you're in, this is a question that mm -hmm. I always um, wonder about when I, you know, I see bands play. Mm -hmm. um, when you're stepping into a situation where, you know, you know, you're playing an instrument as part of a group and someone else is writing the songs, do they say, like, Okay, Simon, I would like you to play your stand-up bass like this. Or do you they play the song and give the idea and you figure out what you're going to do? That's uh everybody's different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, everybody is different. Um and so uh but most of the time you are hired or continually play with somebody or are in a band with somebody because they like your ideas in the mm -hmm. first place. Or the style in which you play anyway. And it's different. Um, it's different from being in a rock band where things are more orchestrated, mm. um, where the song is written um, a lot of parts. Mm -hmm. You have less parts when you're in like string band, country stuff. Um, that's different. So those are those specific parts sound a specific way because this song goes this way. That's rock music. In more of a country bluegrass world you're just you're playing and you're playing the song mm -hmm. how you play in your style is what you know that's why the, the band sounds good in the first place mm. and all these different people have these the style comes together some of the some some singers will say hey can you try this this thing that sounds like this it's usually not super specific mm -hmm. you know for each instrument but it's hey can we try this here can we try this there um, that's usually how far it goes. And what's this? Like this rhythm or this note yeah. or anything? Yeah. Hey, it, you know, that. some of it's really simple. Like, hey, let's go to halftime here. Let's make a stop here. Let's do this. Let's do that. Mm -hmm. um, that's just arranging the song, really. Right. But if you're talking about when the song first gets brought to the band, it's they might say, I like this kind of feel on it, mm -hmm. maybe. Um, tempo kind of dictates that. But the cool thing about it, especially working with such amazing, talented people in um, High Plains Chambry, is that that happens really quickly and we all like freak out about the great ideas. It's like the most exciting moment when a song comes together, but then it's, it, you can do that in your living room all day long or at practice, right? Right. But then when you step on stage, it takes on this whole nother life. And some ideas that you had that were really good in your living room, <laughs> not so great on stage. Hear that. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Exactly. That's everybody. Like you guys. This is going to be hilarious. Uh, yeah. Nope. <laughs> uh, so those are, and then some of those uh, kind of like reform and turn into like, 
oh man, some of the ideas are just like, I never thought that would work, but that's mm-hmm. great. You know, once it just kind of gets, gets out there. Um, and so, and then it changes over time and, oh man, that's, that's exciting to me. Some songs, you know, and they'll even last a while. They'll even like make like a good fight. They'll be like three weeks on the set list. Three weeks later, you're like, we have to give you up. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Last song. Um, do you make your living now as a musician? Yeah. Yeah. How does that work? <laughs> good question. Could you could you help me out? <laughs> to uh, make it work a little more. Yeah. You um, you know, we're part of it was that I was teaching part time. Um, for I still teach some classes, um, but being on the road about oh probably about oh maybe like thirty forty percent right now. Mm-hmm. All the time away from home. With high plains jamboree. Or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, more like well, we've been about ten days a month is what we have been yeah. so about a quarter of a month. Um, and then so if you're gone, gone. Um, hopefully making more money on the road than you would make in town. Of course, Austin has a great live music scene. Um, that and reputation for it. Therefore, it, and Texas does in general, and so that. Um, if you think about, you know, all the other cities, obviously in Texas, um, we get to travel around a lot of those for weekend stuff mm-hmm. and think about those private events and stuff. We do a lot of those, um, like smaller events that you might pay better than you think live music and then you think just the club going right. in a 45 minute set at a club, which, you know, dancing's big, country's big back in Texas now. Um, it's kind of an in thing right now, which is great. Um. So that's that's good. Mm-hmm. Tip jars full these days. So um, yeah, it looks like playing local shows, going on the road, um, teaching some classes. I wrote a blog the other day. Really? Yeah, never done that. For what? Using my college degree at thirty-five. What's what's the it's blog? It's not really a blog. I think it was just like more like a list of some like it was for a kid's website. Okay. So, Check it out. I'll, I'll ask you about that after. But I'll put a link. Yeah, okay. If you want. Oh, um, maybe. Um, it's not really, it's like a, it's, I was really just trying to do a, it's about all ages venues and things. Oh, which, cool. Yeah, which I really yeah. actually, you know, what a cool city this would be to grow up in. Holy cow. Yeah. We get to take Tallinn to see so much, yeah. so much music. Um, and then you have uh, your own, like, solo show or group also, right? Yeah, I do that. It's kind of, I'm still holding on. Mm-hmm. Why? Still singing, why? <laughs> <laughs> it's a can, crowd favorite. Can you please play that at the end if you remember it? Uh, yeah, I don't think I do. <laughs> okay. Not convenient. So you're still holding, what does that mean, you're still holding on? Oh, no. It's, one part of it is that I can do it, right? I can go play a three-hour solo yeah. show. Uh, play banjo, play guitar. Uh, it's just that, you get to a certain level, you know, it's like, I'm, some of those I do for money. It's a decent paycheck um, to go. I can play at the airport, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, it's just not, I'm not making records. I'm not promoting right. myself as that. I'm not, that's not my thing. Right. Right. Um, so, but I still write songs, and so it's still, um, and I bring those to the band that I play in, um, but I can also do those as a solo artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just... If you're not promoting yourself as that, it's because I don't have a solo career. Mm-hmm. Like, not 
as good as I'm better at being in a band, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's what I mean by it. I'm better at being in a band, not managing my own band. Mm-hmm. You know, those are hard lessons to learn, mm-hmm. especially if that's all you want to do for your entire life is then you realize, oh, I'm not good at that part of music, mm-hmm. you know? When did you, um, did you always know, or when did you decide that you were going to pursue music as your life? And also, uh, you know, right. as your profession. Right. Um, you know, I just said it constantly mm-hmm. since I was in, you know, a teenager. It was never a question even. Really. Well, but then, as, but you just say it out loud and everybody, you know, who cares? Yeah, right, whatever. Yeah. So then you think of all these other careers and then you go to college and then you get a bunch of these other jobs, but you continually, you know, I just continually went back to it. Um but tried really hard. I had some desk jobs, man. Oh, you disastrous. did? Not like wearing a tie or anything, um, but some indoor jobs. Right. <laughs> Way more satisfied with my outdoor jobs, uh-huh. you know, like working landscaping or whatever. Yeah. But harder to pay the bills. But yeah, it's really difficult. Um, it was really difficult to try to really do anything else. I was, I, I think I did like 10 internships in college because I was going to find something that I could do. <laughs> That's a um, lot of internships. It was a lot of internships, yeah. I mean, everything from like book publishing to... Oh, yeah. Uh, so radio, like promotions, which is they basically make you just walk around at a you know, tailgate party before a football game and hand out. Yeah. Stickers, you know, it was like terrible. Uh, everything that, and then I graduated college, and I, I, I lived in Chicago for a little bit. And the first thing I do is go out and drive the horse carriages <laughs> downtown. You know, then I was like, outside sweet, great horses. job outside, like horses. pulling a plow. Cool. Yeah, no yeah. big deal, no big deal. Um, can you play one more thing? Yeah. Really, can you not continue to remember why? No, I, I, I can't remember why. Goodness. Um, thank you for coming over. Thank you for having me. This is great. It's a great rainy day to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will do a little, another little instrumental thing I wrote. Um, I think it's appropriate. It's called At Your Kitchen Table. Thank <laughs> you.
Isn't that song great? So good. I love banjo. I wish I knew how to play it. Um, I'm recording a little bumper at the end because Kevin thinks it's weird that I go right from the interview into the little bumper song. So I'm taking a moment to say thanks again to Simon for coming over. Thank you all for listening. Um, I really like that I get to share um, the lives of these artists with you. So I really appreciate that you listen. Uh, if you don't like Will You Be My Friend on Facebook, find it, like it. I'm going to put up some links to the bands Simon plays with so you can find a little more information about him. Um, I think it's Let's Be Friends Pod on Facebook. If not, send me an email and I'll send you the right link. Okay, bye. Saying bye like it's a phone call or something. Yeah, okay, bye. Will you, will you be my friend?